Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. Hi, loved ones. Welcome to episode two of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Munro. I am so excited for today's episode as we are joined by one of my close friends, Charlotte Johnson, who is an incredible guide and facilitator teaching feminine embodiment all throughout the world through retreats and events and her online feminine mystery school. So today's episode is really precious to me as we have an open and honest conversation around our own healing journey with relationships and what we've learned through creating conscious relationships and our own lessons and growth in this. If there's pieces that resonate with you or you would like to learn more about it, you can access my free guide to creating conscious relationships through my website. I look forward to hearing from you and I'm so honored that you are joining this journey with me. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really grateful for you creating space and time for us to have this conversation. I really wanted to carve out some space for us to chat about all the healing and growth and reflections that we have harvested from our work in the sphere of relationships as I'm aware it's been, yeah, quite potent and transformational for both of us. Mm. Yes, thank you so much for having me and also for creating this space to dive into this really juicy topic. I feel like this has been so much of what, you know, our spiritual journey over the past year and a half and it's something that I love talking about because it just is so deeply transformational when you're able to be with it and you're able to yeah be self-aware when you are dating and relating so thank you Mm, yeah I love how you framed that like in terms of self-awareness like that really does feel like the first step in I don't know if my own experience going from like blame, projection, criticism, thinking it's the other person, they're doing this, that, and the other, and really bringing the responsibility back, which feels like, yeah, this is the kind of foundation of the conscious relationships that we hold ourselves to and the standards that we hold ourselves to. And so I would love to know when did you first become conscious around your relationship patterns? And like, when did you first start to delve in from unconscious to conscious relationships? Like, how would you even define, yeah, conscious relationships? Mm, That's a great question. Yeah, really great question. And I mean, I think this comes back down to the self-awareness piece. Conscious relationships for me is like, Two people or like, well, starting with yourself, like you knowing yourself and what you bring into a situation with someone else, like you being aware and conscious of your patterns and like the people you tend to go towards and the way that you tend to react in certain situations, like, you know, all of that, that's what I would define as, as conscious relating is like people being conscious and aware of everything that they bring to a situation and also being able to like having the tools and awareness and the skills to move through things when it comes up and like learning and growing together when you're in in a a situation with someone and when you're dating that would be my definition of conscious relationships Mm, I love this and I love yeah, the awareness of like our own stuff and what we what we bring to situations. Yeah, I so I so resonate because it's such a term and it's a term that I use. Yeah, conscious relationships, but actually in the mainstream, it doesn't tend to be a term that's out there in the sphere. And so I just wanted to like break it down to what are we talking about when we're talking about conscious relationships? And it so feels like this of 
yeah, for me, an awareness of my patterns, of like my trauma, of the ways that I can seek to get my needs met, what I need from relationships Mm -hmm. and how that plays out and how I co-create relationships with other people. So I guess for me, the conscious bit comes from realizing that relationships are a co-creation and take understanding my part in them and the power to change and create the relationships that I really want through, I guess, ownership, responsibility, acceptance, like honesty, some difficult conversations, feeling it all and healing the patterns. Mm. Yeah, it's just been such a big journey to, to really understand the depth of which, yeah, we are responsible for relationships we're in and how we create them. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to, yeah, ask, yeah, how was your like journey into conscious relationships? Like, was there an aha moment or was there a time when you kind of realized like, ah, this is who I am in relationships and this is what's playing out for me. And that's a really great question. I do remember it very specifically as in, well, I guess I remember the time that I chose to choose differently. The time, like the time that was really significant for me was I had been in Bali for a year and a year and a few months. This was the first time I went there to live. And I had started doing some of the deeper healing work in relation to like, like body work and like really going into my past experiences and my trauma. And I... Just before I left, I dated this guy and uh, I I say dated, we met up twice. Was it twice? Yeah, it was twice. And I, I had sex with him and I just was so unfulfilled by the whole experience. Mm. And I just remember being so frustrated by like the men, I, I felt like I was dating and, have, and having sex with the same man. And, and it was a real awakening because I was like, this is nothing to do with them. <laughs> like, I can't keep blaming all of these men that I'm dating for like not being able to give me what I need sexually, dating wise. Like, this is my issue. And that was the moment that it switched for me. That was the moment that it became, okay, this is something that I need to work on this is this is me like I'm going towards these men and so that was a really big aha moment for me and that I yeah I, I switched it around and that was when I decided to be celibate and stop dating mm-hmm. for well the the initial plan was six months but it ended up being two and a half years and that was definitely the biggest like portal of time where everything just shifted for me. Like the person I am now versus that woman who took that celibacy vow. Like, yeah, it's just completely different. Wow. What an incredible and like beautiful journey. And I so appreciate here, like the moment, like it must've dropped in for you of like, oh, wow, this is the same pattern showing up in a different body. This is the same person over and over again. They just look and feel different, but it's the same pattern. And then you're actually taking steps and like bringing all your energy inward and focusing on, yeah, you and your healing in order to transform the relationships outside of yourself. Mm. And so you're talking about how you felt so different at the end of your celibacy to from the beginning. And so I'd love to know, like, how did it transform you? What came up then? And like, what are those differences? Who was the Charlotte at the end of your celibacy about? Wow. Thank you for asking. Gosh, so much. I think this is, this was just, I mean, obviously there was so many other pieces of healing that was the, you know, arose during this time, but bringing all of my energy inward for that time, it allowed me to really see where I had been seeking validation through casual sexual experiences, like 
where I had no self-worth and no self-respect. Like it, like the men that I was going towards didn't have any, any respect for me, you know, like, because I didn't have any respect for myself. Like I wasn't treating myself the way that I deserved to be treated. And so they weren't either. And it just, it was excruciating at times because I realized how much I had really relied on men to, you know, give me the validation that I was needing or fill a hole or, you know, like there was so much that came up and, and just having to be sat with that, just having to be like, okay, I have chosen not to, to date right now. I've chosen not to have sex right now. So I, and, and when these uncomfortable feelings come up, it's like, I have to sit with this. Like, it's like sitting with, it, it really does feel excruciating. It feels like breaking an addiction is like how I would, how I would describe it. Yeah. You know, when you're like rewiring your entire system to, to be okay with something completely different, but when it's so wired to go to go to those places like it really does feel like you are breaking an addiction and it can be excruciating at times so yeah those were towards the beginning and then throughout that time so after the six months I I did actually date a couple of times but that was just like a couple of first dates with men and I because the original celibacy thing was like six months no dating nothing so I did that and then I opened up to just date, nothing sexual. And the men I dated, I was like, no, I'm still like, there is still so much work for me to do here. Like I really, you know, there was still, it was still so apparent. One of my biggest patterns was attracting men who, and I don't know how to word this. Like we all have issues. Okay. Like I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that these men were like, but it was kind of, I would go, basically I would go into a mothering fixing role with men. That is what it was. I would have no boundaries around because, because of the work that I do. And like, you know, before I was so boundaried around it, it would seep out into, into relationships and I would try and fix and make these men into something else. And, and these two men that I dated when I opened up again, I was like, I can see where this would happen with them. And like, there's just so much that still needs to shift for me. So I closed again, completely to dating. I think that was something that also it really helped with was like, you know, because I, I had abstained completely for six months, whereas usually I would just keep going. I'd keep dating. I'd be on dating apps and yeah. I'd only really get to like the first or second date because <laughs> I'm actually really you know, like particular, but yeah. I, does this make sense? Like I can't, I can't fake a connection. I cannot mm. fake a connection. And if I'm not connecting with you like I'm not going to go on a second date with you just to see how the second date goes like we'll go on a first date like if I'm not a full body yes then like it's not going to go any further and so I would go on a lot of first and second I think a couple of second dates so when I really abstained completely it made it very clear the patterns Mm -hmm. especially when these two two men that that I was dating came in and I, I could just really see clearly, yeah, the leakiness of the no boundaries around the fixing and the mother, the mother piece. So yeah, I I closed again and I didn't open for dating again until I was in Bali when we met and not to date FYI, but yeah, that was the summer when I opened up again and I was dating and you know, I could see how much had changed for me. And and I, I also want to say that one of the biggest intentions for this celibacy piece for me was really diving into my pleasure, really owning that for myself, because I had had a lot of sexual experiences and a lot of them were very unfulfilling for me. I was just going to ask you, I was like, what made them unfulfilling for you? Yeah, I, like... I I couldn't ask for what I wanted and I didn't know what I wanted really. Like one of my biggest healing pieces is being able to say no to men. Oh yeah. Being able to voice, like, you know, speak my needs has been a huge journey. And so I would just do whatever they wanted and I would never speak 
speak up for what I wanted and I would never be able to say no to what I didn't want. And that was a key piece, you know, like if it was uncomfortable or if it was like, it wasn't actually pleasurable, it was painful. Like I would just keep going. And so there was so much like that I needed to reclaim and like really be with, there was a lot of healing for me and my yoni and my womb around this. And so like my pleasure journey was really getting to know my body and my yoni and what I loved and what I wanted. And also a lot of like healing sexually, like energy wise, using, I was using yoni eggs and crystals and had some wild like experiences with them, which was just so magic. And just really being able to give that to myself felt really beautiful. So that was a really big intention for my, my celibacy. And then it's interesting because obviously when you're celibate, like you don't get to practice asking for what you need. So like the next part was when I opened up, like I knew that the the next step for me would be practicing asking and like speaking these needs, like when it came into opening up again. So yeah, I dated a few men last summer and... Can I pause? And <laughs> yes. Point and really like gather all the gold from this journey because there's so many pieces that you shared there that I deeply resonated with and wanted to just catch and harvest. So for example, we're starting with this piece of like why you chose the celibacy, even noticing like seeking validation and your worth like from men that in Mm -hmm. itself is like a pretty potent and transformative realization of that. Yeah, we're trying to get our need, like your needs met through those vehicles. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like the self-awareness is like the first step. And I think it's interesting and I'm sure you relate. It's like the, it's, it's that potent time in your spiritual journey when you realize that so much of what you are experiencing and like the patterns that you play out in, in dating is like to do with your parental wounding yeah, yeah. <laughs> our primary wound yeah okay so on this topic of like primary wounds what would you say yours were and then how are you playing them out in the relationships that showed up for you great question well, I'd say the the biggest piece was, well, no, there's no biggest piece. They were all pretty big, but like chasing unavailable men, mm. chasing unavailable men and being really turned off by men who were available. You know the pattern. I know the pattern. I, I may have dabbled in that one myself a bit. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's a huge one. Like when, when, when you are attracted to unavailable men and game chasing and like someone is available, like you don't like it. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like you have an attraction to that. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was reflecting on this recently in, even in therapy, shouts my therapist for saving my life. Love her. Because <laughs> this is also, I really resonate with two themes that you've shared. Yeah, the emotional, like, unavailability mm-hmm. and also the mothering. They're two core themes of mine that show up in relationships. And so the unavailability piece is like, yeah, so I guess my wound was that the way that my dad best knew how to show love was through providing and through working and creating stability at home. But then young me wanted my dad to be home early from work and to be there and have energy to play. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like, you know, yeah, I didn't know the full reason as like a five, six-year-old. So the story then I was created is like, dad's not home. Like, I'm not good enough. He said, oh, like, dad's not available to me. If I was more, if I was better, like, then dad would want to come home early and play with me. Mm-hmm. So I wanted him to show love in a different way than he was, even though he couldn't have shown it better in that way. He was a brilliant father in that capacity. And so the way that I showed up was, yeah, find finding safety in the unavailability because that's the level of intimacy that actually felt safe in my nervous system mm-hmm. because that's what I was used to. So then going towards or like choosing men and and often you know it's like it's so subconscious it's like we're not even conscious of it but choosing men who couldn't be and I'm just talking about men in the circumstance because this is more what I identify as like pansexual it's more present in my relationships with men it's 
yeah, it's like going towards these men, then what I'm getting out of it is that there's a, there's a space in the intimacy that also feels so safe for me. So then when the pattern started to shift and I was with more emotionally available men, it actually felt really difficult and like overwhelming and like crunchy because suddenly I was around men that were expressing their feelings, that were showing up or being really honest and transparent. And my nervous system was almost a bit overwhelmed with that level of intimacy. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I really resonate with that. I really resonate. And how did you shift that? How did you move through that? I was just pausing to think of all the different things that have helped me. Definitely a great support system, like brilliant friends to really call me to my highest, like reflect if I'm acting out my stuff. Because what's so interesting is in relationships, it's like, it can feel so real. So it's like this idea that if we're used to, and this quote's always stuck with me through my work, it's like, if we're not used to safe relationships, safe relationships will feel unsafe. Yeah. So it's like in that level of intimacy, what may came up, what may come up is like the ick or like, oh my gosh, yeah, this unattraction, like, because it's actually, yeah, not familiar to my system. So being surrounded by friends that can kind of reflect back to me like, okay, is this your stuff? Because this, this man is showing up in a beautiful way. Where's your stuff here? And then through that, a lot of somatic work and feeling and like, you know, professional support Mm -hmm. in order to allow my container, like my nervous system to be able to hold that level Mm. of, yeah, deep intimacy and and fulfillment. Because it's like, I, I feel like our capacity to feel that deep intimacy is really our capacity to feel ourselves. Mm intimate with ourselves on those levels so I guess this is comes back to the celibacy piece of like because I'm, I've also you know had this journey of years being celibate mm-hmm. and I feel like what that taught me was a how to be intimate with myself so deeply that then I can hold that level with someone else that wasn't there before yes does this make sense yes Yes, yes, yes. I'm also wondering, like, the level of intimacy that is created within, like, our sisterhood as well, also kind of sets the tone, you know, like being able to hold, because I I genuinely think that that has also been a huge piece in in what I'm now, like, calling in and and like expecting from men because we've spent so long in in our sisterhood relationships being so deeply honest with each other and creating that depth of intimacy and trust and vulnerability and safety so when we are relating with men it's like well this is you know this is the level now that I relate at Mm -mm, I love this so like cultivating the level of like platonic intimacy and mm-hmm. it's actually a, a term that I've been using in some of my teachings like relationship congruence which I kind of used to mean like how I feel is deeply like congruent in my system in alignment so how I show up people is like I will say what's present for me and if I can't have those kinds of relationships and the relationship isn't actually congruent and in alignment, because if we can't have the relationships where we can be fully free, authentic and express and take ownership and, and all these pieces, then I can't be, there's no trust there. And then there's no relationship congruence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so with the sisterhood piece, how was that journey for you of coming into like deeper intimacy with sisters and this whole another level of relating because I feel like the standard and even as we've known each other I feel like we've upped our standard like I feel like we already came into our friendship with yeah I would yeah really celebrating us like really key relationship skills it felt like it was being super like a lot of ownership authenticity honesty like trust from the beginning Mm-hmm. But even through how we've known each other, it just feels like it deepens and deepens with like the skills that we cultivate through navigating the highs and the lows of being in intimacy. Mm. Yes, a hundred percent. I think we're different women now and we were all like, we came into it. I think, you know, one of the things that I don't know if you resonate, but 
I think depending on your experience, when it comes to having those hard conversations and, and, you know, taking responsibility, say if like, you know, I, I know I used to be a real people pleaser, so maybe I would take over responsibility and, you know, and I think that's been one of the biggest pieces that I feel we have really like been able to, to cultivate is like just being so empowered in these conversations and like really being able to like really see it and take ownership, but also be able to be okay with like naming things that feel harder and not going into the over responsibility and like the, yeah, the caretaking piece, which I know I I definitely have done. Mm. I don't know if that's something you resonate with. Oh, you know exactly. <laughs> Deeply, Charlotte notes some of my core patterns. My core patterns. <laughs> if I take care of everyone else's feelings, then I create safety for myself. Um, yeah, this feels like such a key piece. And so, if I'm trying to track like all the different threads that we're weaving together, for me, the parental wound from this may be like. Yeah, my mother was very nurturing and like uh, the model I kind of saw was a mother that would caretake my dad and like would take care of everything. And I kind of, I learned or I, yeah, if if I can take care of others, I will be safe. That's how I create safety in my friendships or or my, any relationship was like, if they are okay, then I'm okay. So then that created relationship patterns such as people pleasing, fawning, and taking over responsibility. And it's so interesting because I can reflect on check-ins. And for those listening, when we're talking about conversations like this, it's like, you know, if you've ever been angry or upset or hurt by something someone close to you have done, like how do we navigate that? And having relationship check-ins and saying like, hey, this has come up for me. It's in my system. It's creating tension in my body or like these are the stories that I'm creating and I would love to come into congruence, like coherence with you and check in around. Like these are the kind of conversations, perhaps we can talk about it a bit later, but just to give an insight of, yeah, the subject that we're delving into now. Yeah, even in those conversations, like a, a couple of years ago, a year ago, I would have taken over responsibility to create safety and then walked away thinking like, oh, but in that moment, I didn't, I didn't feel safe, but I, actually this isn't my, like I, this isn't my piece yeah so interesting yeah and I think that that's like yeah it's it's such a nuanced thing like it's not just about having the conversations like it's about being so aware of like how it is actually feeling for you and like because you could easily come away from those conversations and think actually no like I didn't you know I didn't like fully name that that didn't you know what I mean like I could have like named something and then come away and be like no like there's still pieces like it takes it really does and and I think that that has been such a gift because when you are really able to have those conversations and to be in your power like you're holding so much sensation like you're holding so much like you're like you said like you're rewiring so so much old patterning and then that enables you to be able to have these conversations with other people as well because this just becomes the norm and you get so good at being able to see the pieces and then have the conversations and then see also, which the most magical part of it is like seeing the intimacy that is created from having the conversations and like the safety and the trust, because you, you know that other people are going to name things and aren't going to hide things from you or aren't going to like build resentment. Like they're going to come to you and say, and like having that inner connection is just so so important yeah it was priceless I don't think I could hold or I actually choose not to hold relationships where I don't feel like that deep trust is there now that has been a conscious choice I've noticed as like do I fully trust this person and can we go to that level of intimacy because if not then it's like I'm lying to myself and I'm lying to you because I'm not, I'm not fully in this, this relationship. Yeah. And it's so 
potent, you know, you tapped into around like the trust and the safety that's created from these conversations and this level of intimacy. And the beauty of, you know, as you've spoken about when we leave and actually we might have not named stuff and I'm reflecting on the times when we've had check-ins and afterwards we've had to like have a debrief around the check-in because we haven't seen the same thing like ah we just debriefed about this <laughs> like, ah, and then in that debrief this came up for me you know like that level of like ah unwinding and it feels so healing because it feels like ah it's safe to express it's safe to be heard and there's it a trust of like ownership, us both taking ownership and yeah, deeply reflecting on our own stuff here and coming into relationship as our highest selves, not at that ego level of like playing out like right or wrong or blame or criticism of like our higher self. This is the pattern I play out and this is how it showed up. And this is what I'm trying to heal from. This is the assumption I made or this is the projection. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've journeyed through a lot with this. Like we really have, and we've, it's been difficult, you know, like there's been situations which have felt like really difficult to navigate and, and being able to navigate it and being able to move through it, I think has just really expanded our capacity to see things clearer when it comes to having these conversations and, yeah Mm. it's very powerful and I love that you picked up on like how difficult it can be because it can be so difficult especially the first few and if you're coming either if you you know I remember when I started doing this work and I was having these conversations with people that might not be doing this kind of work and it's really crunchy like we've had a sudden kind of relationship and now you're asking me if I feel heard and if there's anything I need and like what stories I'm creating. It's like, so there's those crunchiness of creating conscious relationships where there might not have been that awareness. And then the crunchiness of your first few conversations as you deepen your relationship. And it's almost like a trustful, like, are we going to be able to hold this? What I've noticed is that actually all my deepest close friendships and, you know, my work relationship, like all my relationships, like, there has been ruptures at some point and the trust and the secure attachment is built through how we move through conflict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So powerful. And yeah, you're, you're so right. Those first conversations are crunchy. Right. So here we are. oh my gosh so crunchy it's the practice of just saying it anyway and knowing that like it's not about being perfect it's not about it going it going a certain way it is is just about like being able to have those conversations and Mm -hmm. I sense that once we when we have these conversations we have this intimacy like I shared earlier it's like then relationships where that's not possible actually fall away because my feeling in my system is like that I feel less authentic. So I don't think there's space to feel authentic because I don't know if the relationship can hold that level of I'm naming the thing. This is the piece mm-hmm. without there being huge activations. Like there's got to be ownership on both parts. Yes. Yeah. And that that's a really important piece that like you can't move forward and have these conversations if, people if both sides aren't willing to take ownership of what they bring and like through it though it feels like the most priceless gift of yeah and you know we've called it we've called it this and it's i'm smiling but like chosen family like Mm. healing our wounds with each other and like creating these relationships where we where i like i was myself like i feel so held seen like listen to uh, like I can traverse any I can bring up any topic and to have that kind of yeah congruence coherence in life where I could be fully myself and be held even if it's uncomfortable even it brings up stuff for other people and trust other people to be in relationship with me in the same way Mm -hmm. Mm. yes and and honestly as well like I don't know about you but when you do have this as your like norm 
it's actually like it just auto, it's it's kind of not automatic but it becomes so normal that like you do just start to do it it's like you just do it wherever you are and then yeah it's either people are like oh and able to kind of like also change with it but it just it's it's alien to not do it like it becomes so alien you see other people relating and you're, like it's just like oh wow like you know communication would change everything here yeah and this is really seeing our relationships as our spiritual teachers mm-hmm. like they are the portals and vehicles for our transformation you know it's not about you and me it's about like what we teach each other about ourselves yes yeah so for example a way of like navigating like triggers and it not being about us was example when I was feeling like how was I feeling sensitive in our friendship because we had been through quite a big week in our lives we'd gone from living in the same like living not I'm gonna say two doors down but you know on the same pretty street pretty much <laughs> and seeing each other all the time to then navigating being in different countries and the same country and phone calls we hadn't really consciously moved into our relationship transition and what we needed now we're in different places. So I was already healing a codependent pattern and friendship that I have been working on. It's like, if I don't lean in or if I don't make sure the other person is okay, if I don't caretake them, are they going to lean in? And that really comes from an insecurity. And yeah, and it's like, so I've been focusing on that pattern of, okay, so this is how I can show up and I want to lean back and I want to be able to create more balanced friendships. And so we were kind of cool. Yeah. So we had planned like a call. There had been a miscommunication around the timing of the call and what the call meant. And so I was upset that you, you were like late for a call or something, because for me, I had fear like that I wasn't cared for, like that I didn't matter or as an afterthought which stemmed from my own insecurity of if I don't do 150% in a relationship, someone's not going to be there. So I was already healing that insecurity of like, if I don't come to the fence, is anyone going to come to the fence? If I don't like, yeah, lean in, will someone else lean in? So I was already in that tender place so that when you were late for the call, I was upset because I'd felt like I wasn't cared for, but it wasn't even about the lateness of the call. And so as we navigated this, I think I had named like, oh, I, I, how do we, yeah, I think I said like, oh, I feel hurt or I feel upset that, that you are late. And for you, it was just a, it was a complete communication. It was super casual. You're in, or you can share your piece of how it was. Yeah. I mean, I think what happened is we'd, we'd named a time. I had taken it like it was more casual, like it wasn't, whereas, and there was, you know, miscommunication on that side, but also just like, you know, for most people or for a lot of people, that level of awareness that you have, because then I remember we were having the conversation about it afterwards. And I remember being like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like I shouldn't have named the time. And you were like, no, no, but it's not about the, like, it's not about the time. That's not actually what it's about. Like there's no need for us to actually talk about, not that there's no need, (laughs) but you know, like that's not what the thing is. Like the deeper thing here is like this this friendship is going through a transition or this connection is going through a transition. And so, and I'm, and I'm feeling these pieces. And so, you know, your ability to have that level of awareness is so powerful because otherwise we'd have just been talking about the timing of it, you know, like when that wasn't actually the thing, it's not the thing. thing. And that's the question I often ask like clients, like what's the deeper piece here? What is that? Because it's not about the time. It's not about the dishes or the laundry. There's a deeper need that's not being met. And what is that? And I guess why I wanted to like, yeah, have this really vulnerable share about our own stuff is because, you know, me, yeah, seven years ago or something, what a specific age bracket I chose. <laughs> seven years. But it, it was about that. Like I would have taken that, out. I would have run with that. I would have been like, oh my gosh, because it was, you know, it was a group call. It was like, oh, no one cares about me. My friends don't care about me. I don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I would put probably blame or like projection. Like, yeah, they're they're not even good friends or something like that. I would have run with that and created that narrative and believed that. 
when actually I, I have to sit with, it's not about the time. I know my friends deeply love and care about me. Mm-hmm. I know that it's like, it's this, this is pieces come up for some deeper healing for me and reflection. Like this trigger is an invitation for me to feel the, like what's underneath there and actually transmute that so it doesn't show up again. And actually that's the belief that, yeah, that's my codependent belief that I've been healing. Like around, like if I'm not 150% in, someone isn't going to come in 100%. Mm. So yeah, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, just how how that has been navigated differently and how that that takes time and just that humanness of deeper friendships not being all like love and light and like beauty and cherishing sometimes it's like hey this hurt and I'm in pain and my story is this and and I'm pissed off at you yeah mm-hmm. mm. and I think and I yeah like being able to cultivate this level of connection and being able to hold this level of intimacy and vulnerability and honesty with each other is what then allows us to bring this into dating. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have two questions for this. Have there been any key triggers for you that have come up with us that have been really profound? I just remember the cacao. (laughs) (laughs) But what was the deeper piece with that though? I think... (laughs) I actually can't remember. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. I So the cacao, okay, the cacao is a trigger, but that wasn't that was just I think I was I was under-resourced. I actually don't think that it was like any, you know, like you literally just said like babe, like it's not the cacao, you've been tested for it and I was just triggered. <laughs> like it wasn't any, you know, like I think I was just, I was healing something and I was just really tender and vulnerable. And I just like. But to be fair, I could have held you better than mm. that's my responsibility. So for example, mm-hmm. with this context, can, can I share? Yeah. Around, you're going through some like physical health pieces and you mm-hmm. thought it was the cacao that had been tested for cacao, like kinesiology. <laughs> 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 Oh, that said something like, oh, it's the cacao. I think I said like, oh, but you've been, you've been tested. It's not the cacao. And what I, how I could have been a better friend at that moment was being like, ah, like what, what's going on for you? And like, what are the symptoms? Like, why do you, like, it must be like, but I didn't, I very much defended the cacao because I have a different, <laughs> because a theme for us has been you hating on cacao sometimes. <laughs> You love the cacao, but um, I do love the cacao. One of your medicines as well. But um, yeah, I could have heard you. I could have mm. heard you instead of gone into fixing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a key piece in this conversation is seeing that actually, I think both of us were kind of under resourced that day. I think we were both incredibly exhausted. And I think that's a really key piece to highlight about these conversations is make and like, and I think that's something that I, you know, sometimes I'm not great at is because if someone says something, I think we had a joke. If someone says to me, Hey, I'm naming something in this voice note, like make sure you have capacity to listen to it like I don't know if I have the capacity to wait to hear what they're about to say (laughs) I'm like oh my god what is it you know but like at the same time if it is going to be something heavy then like I do need to be resourced for it so like if I'm extremely exhausted it's probably not going to be a good time to listen to a voice note that's naming something because it could break you know it's going to make it harder for me to process it but you know, so it is interesting to see that, like, it's so important to check in with yourself that you have the capacity and check in with the other person that they have the capacity to. Yeah, absolutely. And this is like one of the foundations of like where I kind of see relationships can go wrong. Like, first of all, we're not consensually checking in. So it's like, ah, and, you know, I've got this thing coming up and I need to dump it on you. Or like, there's an urgency for me in this process and therefore you creating the urgency in someone else. Like, can we consent? Like, hey, when you're feeling resourced, can we check in about something? Mm -hmm. And 
so yeah the consent and then the resource like do we have energy and capacity for this and this reminds me once when we were messaging over instagram at night and i think i made a joke that we were both really tired <laughs> and then we were like is this a joke and, we like, and i loved how you just you took the reins and you're like we're not resourced to deal with this Let's check in the morning. And I was like, there we go we are not resourced like and that's why i love like if you're angry go to bed none of this like old teachings around like never go to bed angry if you're angry sleep on it mm-hmm. get up to your practice nurture yourself and then come into conversations that may be activating and bring up your own wounds or your emotional stuff mm-hmm. yeah the capacity piece and like naming like yeah what for you is the easiest way i guess for me it's like i would recommend like nothing over text message let <sighs> that's a big no-no no, no. Because things get so construed around miscommunication. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Never. Yeah, no. Yeah. Not on message. Yeah. Yeah, not, not written down. And the voice note one feels really interesting because it's like, I think now I prefer if someone said, Hey, I would love a phone call or something. Because even the sat with like, even a voice note can sometimes be like, Hey, when you've got a capacity but it's still there. It's still given. Yeah. So it's yeah. a really interesting one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I think there's something about it being in real time, you know, having like a FaceTime with someone and just, you know, the more that you can feel someone in it, the better I think. But yeah, text messages are a big no, no. Yeah. Big no, no. Yeah, for both ways, for sending something and, and not being able to feel them and also how we read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that time. But I think we're both thinking of the same time. It's just funny. <laughs> Are we thinking of the same time? You go first. <laughs> Is that a time in coach? <laughs> yeah. Can I share about it? Yes, share it. It's hilarious. Yeah, so why text messages? Because so when we send them, yeah, we don't know the energy. Like, so, yeah, we don't, they can't be read by other people. And then also when we're reading them, we might read them through the lens of our own past experience. So a beautiful moment. And I've had the same myself, but it was just quite funny for us both. Was when someone was was like apologizing to you over message. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I've never done this before or something. And, yeah, do you want to sh- even share about it? Because I because no, wanna... it it was a guy that I was I had dated, and I, yeah, and I shared something with it. It was a very confusing, complicated situation, and he had apologized and he'd said, "Yeah, I'm sorry. Like I I've never done this before. I've never been in this situation before." And I read the message to you and I literally said, he's responded. And you're like, what's he said? And I was like, I'm sorry, I've never done this before. And you just looked at me and you were like, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) you were like, is he, he's apologizing. And I had like, I, the, the way I had taken it was like, really sat like sassy almost. And, and it was just so funny that I had taken it through a completely different lens as to like how he could have, like, he was genuinely like, I'm sorry. Like I've literally never been in this situation before, but like my defense mechanisms when it came to men were like so high, like my walls were so high that even when they were apologizing, I was taking it as like, as not them not being sincere. So yeah, that that was a very funny moment. Thank you for calling me out on that one. Or holding me to my highest even. (laughs) We don't call out, we hold the highest. We um, do. <laughs> but that was such a beautiful recognition of like, yeah, seeing our stuff in, in real time, mm-hmm. you know? And like, yeah, so, so precious. And so it feels really like, I really appreciate how we've journeyed through the, like navigating this conversation and from, yeah, conscious relationships into, yeah, your journey with celibacy, parental wounds that play out, actually how our relationships, our platonic relationships, our sisterhoods, and our relationship with our brothers as well, impact our, are like the, also part of the playground of relationships. And actually feel like a lot of the foundation, because, yeah, I've got some questions here around dating and more intimate relationships and conscious relationships. 
but I just want to really hone in on this point of, you know, when we're in, in more intimate relationships, there's hormones at play, there's like more of our stuff, it's more heightened. So actually these platonic relationships are so vital and like instrumental for us revolutionizing and changing how we are in relationships and our own healing they provide the foundation for other relationships may, which may feel more activating and, and triggering because of the romantic and sexual aspects to them. It's like, if we can do it when it's in, when it's platonic, then it's like, ah, the foundation's here to do it when the situations are more intense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're going to be in, you know, what, what may feel like more vulnerable situations as well, like asking for your sexual needs to be, mm-hmm. to be met with someone for the first time. Like that's if you've never been able to, to speak your needs before. And like, also depending on the way that you are dating, like if you are dating to be in a relationship, then you can put a lot of pressure on that as well. And like, there's so many stories and and ideas that can just add to the intensity of of dating, which is why like having people like the support system and having the awareness of all of that can be, well, it's just vital, like you said, for sure. And it feels so beautiful because then when we're in our dating situations, we're surrounded by mirrors or people holding reality to us when we may be in our staff. And so I so appreciate yeah, where we've navigated to. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. I have so loved how we've started to delve into conscious relationships, like understanding our stuff, the kind of conversations that conscious relationships require, and yeah, starting to touch into intimacy. Mm. So I can't wait to delve into part two together and delve further into conscious relationships in sex and intimacy i'm so excited there's so much juice that i'm ready to share so thank Uh, you for having me charlotte's dating stories they're famous in bali aren't they they are they really are (laughs) you're in for a treat (laughs) 